Broadcasting from the campus of Loyola University, it's 88.7 WLUW, Chicago Sound Alliance. be here. Thank you for joining me every Sunday morning at 11 here on 88.7 FM WLUW. Got an hour uninterrupted of your favorite small town kid. Go to the Loyola Phoenix, Nick Schultz. I know Sister Gene pretty well. I think he's the sports editor there. He is. He's a sports editor. Sports columnist, sports writer. I'd be lying if I said I wasn't watching baseball in class. Nick Schultz, who is a, a rising star in this profession. Our guy Nick Schultz covers Loyola for the student newspaper there, the Loyola Phoenix. I have to keep pinching myself <laughs> and asking if this is real. I cannot believe this is happening. I'm a poor, starving college student, so I would say I was physically here, but I wouldn't say I was mentally here. Morning and happy new year, everybody. It is the first Sunday sports shootout of the new year and the new decade here on 88.7 FM WLUW. I'm your host, Nick Schultz. I was off last week for the holidays. It was great. Got to spend time with family and kind of made an impromptu trip back up here. Had a busy weekend up in Rogers Park. Had a women's basketball game, a men's volleyball game on Friday, big men's basketball game last night, and a big women's basketball game after this, which I will be hightailing back up to Rogers Park right after the show. It's a 1 o'clock tip-off. A lot of stuff to get to today. Uh, Joining me in a couple minutes will be Chad Linskog of the Evansville Courier. He will be talking about Evansville head coach Walter McCarty's suspension and the start of Missouri Valley play because Valley play has been crazy so far, as always. I'm not surprised because, as Barry Hinson once said, it's the Valley Loyola is the only 2-0 team. Evansville is the only 0-2 team, and everyone else is 1-1. That was my—I tweeted that last night. I always tweet out the standings, and I put updated standings to two games. One, Loyola 2-0. Two, everyone except Evansville 1-1, and 10, Evansville 0-2. Crazy night in the league last night. Uh, Southern Illinois beat Illinois State. Uh, Former Loyola associate head coach Brian Mullins got his first Valley win as head coach, and uh, Valpo and Evansville went to overtime. And Loyola took Missouri State to the final minutes, came back from a 10-point deficit, I think. It was 28-18 to 18 at one point. I was taking pictures, and I always joke that it's a time warp when I'm taking pictures because I lose track of everything. Like, I didn't even notice Loyola only had six turnovers on the night, and Missouri State committed 19. Like, it made for some really good pictures, and if you want, you can go check that out, LoyolaPhoenix.com, the game story from Kyle Brown as well. We have basically been living at Genteel Arena this weekend, and one more game tonight, and then I'm going back home for the time being. I do have to give a shout-out to my cousin. Uh, she's having a baby soon, and I'm really excited. So I might be going home. I don't know. I might have to come up here. So we will wait and see. I will open the phone lines in the second half hour. I put it out on Twitter if anybody wanted to call and talk Valley Hoops. But now, without further ado, I do want to welcome Chad Linskog to the program of the Evansville Courier. You can follow him on Twitter, at Chad Linskog. Uh, Chad, good morning. Thanks for the time. And before we get going, welcome to the Valley Beat, man. Excited to have you aboard. You coming out to Genteel Arena this weekend? Yeah, uh, glad that you, you had me on. It's been fun to get on the beat. And I'm undecided yet if I'm going to make the trip up to Chicago this coming weekend. It might depend on how Evansville does and Bradley or with Bradley on Wednesday and just kind of this whole fiasco that's gone down over the last 10 days. Exactly. Well, again, welcome to the beat. Uh, have you t- have you overtaken Wyatt Wheeler as the youngest on the beat? Then I know he's like twenty five, twenty six, or something like that. I'm not sure. We're probably around the same age. <laughs> I'm twenty. I'm twenty six. So we got to be right there. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah. I would say we're obviously young. We're the student reporters. So, but again, thanks for coming on, and we'll get to the situation in Evansville right now. I know things are kind of vague, but. Have you heard any updates on what's going on with Walter McCarty and his suspension? It's been pretty much silence uh, since the news broke uh, last Friday. There was a news release sent by the university, not even by the athletic department, saying that you know, he was being placed on administrative leave. And since then, really, no one wants to 
talk about it. And you have to kind of understand, I mean, it's an active investigation, but it's also just kind of hanging over the the heads of this whole season. You know, they have 16 more games left. At that point, they have the whole Valley schedule, and no one knows if McCarty is going to be back. Um, I'd rather not kind of speculate, but just, you know, reading between the lines, it, 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 you can't really see him re- returning for the season just because this is such a messy situation, and he's kind of been dragged to the mud, I guess, just with rumors and all that stuff uh, by people online, but... Um, there, there really aren't a whole lot of details that have emerged. No one at, at the University of Evansville even knows when this case is going to be resolved. So is it going to be middle of this week? Is it going to be in three weeks? Um, it's just uh, it's been very surprising and uh, unfortunate, I guess, kind of for all involved. And it includes fans and media because, you know, we don't really know what to say or how to operate right now. Yeah, I know. I was shocked when I heard it. I was I was sitting on my couch just two days. It was two days after Christmas, wasn't it? Was it the twenty seventh that the release came out? Something like that. It was, and I was I was doing the same thing. I was at my parents' house, just hanging out with them, and happened to check my phone and got that email. Yeah, I was I was sitting there. I was I was just about to take a nap because I like to nap when I'm home. I live in a town of four thousand people. There's not a whole lot to do. So I was watching TV and saw it, and my jaw dropped. I couldn't I couldn't believe it, and I saw. When I saw Benny Seltzer was the interim head coach, I'm like, hey, he was, he's a former Loyola guy. So how's he kind of settled into the interim head coach position? He's been good. Um, it helps that he has a lot of experience. You know, he's obviously been in the coaching ranks for 20-some years now under, you know, Kelvin Sampson and Tom Kareen, a couple guys who are still doing it at the very high level. And, you know, Benny is kind of a good voice of reason, I guess, for right now. He's kind of a, an experienced person that people can look to but he does have a bit of a different style um i haven't we don't get to watch practices here in evansville the media doesn't so i don't really know how different he is as far as instruction and coaching and stuff but it has to just be a little bit weird having someone else calling the shots now but i think if anybody you know has to do it you might as well have someone with head coaching experience who's who's been you know it at the power five level and has had a lot of success as an assistant and who, you know, at least has some experience being in charge and, and even being in the Valley, you know, like you said, at, at Loyola. Yeah. Cause he was on Porter Moser's staff would have been my freshman year is when he was here 15 to 17. So I know he's been, he's been around uh, a long time and that's, I, I respect the guy. And so I, I'm, I'm curious to see how he is on the first conference call tomorrow. I'll be sitting in on that. That'll Maybe he'll have some good quotes to make up for Barry Hinson taking off on us. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, we'll have to see. Yeah, we need, some, we need someone to fill that void. All respect to Brian Mullins, but he's not Barry Hinson. <laughs> you, you missed out. Oh, man. You, talk to Pat Hickey about Barry Hinson on the conference calls if you ever get the chance. <laughs> but I know right. there, was, there was something else you went to cover Missouri State, and the players weren't available to the media, and I saw you had a story talking to players. Uh, was that kind of the university uh, telling them to, like, a protection thing? Was it more of a, we don't want you to comment on a sticky situation, something like that? What happened with that whole thing, if you don't mind my asking? Um, I frankly don't know. All I know is that they decided on Friday when the McCarty news broke that they weren't going to let players talk for a week. Um, the only reason I kind of uh, raised the fuss about it was because you know, I don't ride the bus when I cover road games. I drive myself, so it was 12 hours in the car round trip, and all I wanted to do was talk to them about the game. I wasn't going to corner them and ask them about you know, McCarty and stuff. I was there to do my job, and no one was allowed to talk, so that leads me to speak for them, really. Um, and I just didn't like that. But, yes, it's changed since then. Uh, players spoke before the Valpo game on Friday morning and then again last night, uh, which was, pretty good just to to keep things normal and um, kind of allow their voices to be heard because, you know, they're the ones still left here to play. Yeah, because I saw the reaction online was uh, a pretty swift reaction, but I'm glad that got resolved and everything. Just someone who's in the student journalism world and I've kind of been there, done that sort of thing. Um, Let's, Mm -hmm. I want to talk more about the community as well, because I know Evansville is a big basketball community and I know you said there've been some standing ovations during warmups and everything. What's been kind of the reaction from the fan base these last week and a half or so? It seems like everyone's standing by this program. Um, If you go back 40 years, Evansville kind of, maybe the reason people remember Evansville basketball is because the entire team died in a plane crash 42 years ago. And then four years after that, 
they ended up making it to the NCAA tournament. You know, they started from scratch and got into the NCAA tournament. So that's one of those things that this community takes a lot of pride in is just their basketball team and standing together through tough times and just kind of hoping for the best. And, you know, this is a season that, that had high expectations. Evansville hasn't made an an NCAA tournament or an NIT since 1999. And there was a chance, there still is a chance, I guess, that, that they could have ended that drought this year. But this has just kind of thrown a wrench into the whole thing. And you, know, you kind of have to feel for the, for the players uh, because things had gone so well. They had beat Kentucky. They had pulled off a five-game winning streak, um, ended conference or non-conference play with a, an overtime win against Murray State. <clears throat> Everything was looking good. And then, you know, now no one really knows, I guess, what the future is going to be. So the the fans are trying to, to do their best. Last night was a good crowd, but I'm just interested to see how much the support continues depending on what news emerges or how the team continues to play over the next coming weeks. Talking to Chad Linskog here on WLUW Sunday Sports Shootout today. Follow him on Twitter at Chad Linskog. Uh, one more question about the McCarty situation. We'll get to the league as a whole because I feel like there's a lot to talk about there as well. Uh, I saw you kind of had a video a quote from Benny about this, but what's kind of next for the program here with all the unknowns surrounding the investigation? It really is. You know, it's so cliche, you know, in sports, everyone's one day at a time, next game up, but that really is how they have to approach it right now. You know, it might be cliche, but it's kind of their only option. It's just show up to practice the next day, try to get better, try to make sure the wheels don't fall off and, Hope that you know, I don't know that this situ- situation is going to go away. I think it's going to be kind of a lingering effect for the rest of the season, but it maybe doesn't need to be a distraction or, or as prevalent of a story that it is right now until we actually learn what's going on or, or what a verdict is. But you know, I think that they just have to kind of take it one game at a time. You know, they probably should have won last night against Valpo. They were up by eight inside four minutes. Ended up turning over the ball four times on their final six possessions of regulation and then lost by two in overtime. So, you know, if they would have won last night, then, you know, Valpo's in last and Evansville's, you know, with all the other one and one teams. So I still think that they have a, a good shot at competing in the Valley. I think that this is a good team full of talent, but, um, you know, you just can't really look too far long term or at least not as big picture as you could have if, if McCarty was still here calling the shots. I feel like that's the story of the league, though. Like, I know it's it's one of those cliche things, but I feel like we mean it. Any any given night, any team could do anything. I mean, I read off there's eight teams that are one and one, and the only two that aren't are two and zero and zero and two Loyola and Evansville, appropriately enough for this conversation. Uh, so what what are you seeing from the league so far? Two games in. So I think uh, Loyola looks good. You know, I've kind of kept them in my top four all season, even though maybe they had. Not the best non-conference play. Um, obviously, you and I was great in non-conference, and then I don't know what happened against Illinois State. Uh, Neither do I. I napped, or I was asleep during that game. I woke up to Jim Benson's tweet. The one time I take a nap during Valley games. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then uh, you know Bradley looks like uh, it's gaining strength. Uh, you know, with their guys getting healthy, and uh, you know if they end up beating Evansville on Wednesday, then. You know, I think Bradley is going to stay among those top ranks. And all of a sudden, UE is going to be, you know, looking up at people at 0-3. So it's, I don't want to say it's a must-win just three games in, but, you know, things could kind of – you just have to protect your home court, you know, in the Valley. It's the biggest thing. It's just winning at home. And um, it seems kind of that that's been the case so far is uh, teams are just, you know, kind of eking out these close wins. Yeah, and that's that's always that's been like that definitely the last couple of years too. These close wins and the home team seem to just be dominating, and it's 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 kind of a trend around college basketball. I feel like too about the home court advantage. You always hear about it, and again, you think it's just coach speak cliche, but I feel like it's different in the MVC just because it's so there's so much parity in the league year to year. Definitely, and you know while it is all kind of teams in the Missouri Valley, you know it's. It's tough sometimes to make that trip uh, west out to Iowa. You know, it's it's hard sometimes to come down to Evansville because there's no great way to, to get here from some of these uh, places. So, um, you know, even even the travel, uh, just you know, being a, a mid-major, it's a uh, it's one of the, yeah, it, it's a league full of parity. And last year, coaches um, thought that the conference as a whole was a little bit down compared to some previous years, but. 
I don't know how that's going to shake out this year, but you know, with all the teams so close, uh, it should be just kind of one person knocking off the other person uh, every single night. And now I want to just talk about uh, Evansville's team. I know KJ Riley is still around and everything, but DeAndre Williams, because KJ put up a double double last night, I see. But DeAndre Williams put up twenty eight against Valpo. Uh, how are the how's the starting lineup looking? I haven't really been paying as close attention as I should be to the, the other teams in the league. Yeah, I kind of feel the same way. Um, I'm sure I'll pay more attention now that they're all playing each other. But exactly. DeAndre Williams, um, you know, even the players say that you know he he's their best guy. You know, he's the one who needs to have the ball in his hands. He is one of the most efficient shooters in the country. I think his true shooting percentage was like second of everybody on Ken Palm entering yesterday. I haven't seen the updated numbers, but he is in the running. Um, I would assume with Crutwig and then uh, maybe. Javon Freeman Liberty, depending on how much he ends up scoring this season as kind of the front runners for, for player of the year. Um, obviously maybe AJ Green and someone from Bradley too. But you know, DeAndre Williams is by far Evansville's best player and he might be the best player in the valley, uh, just because he's six foot ten, he can shoot from outside, and he's pretty much, you know, dead on from anywhere inside the arc. Uh, he just has a knack for scoring and is kind of the lifeblood of this team. You know, when he scores 20 points and has five-plus rebounds, you know, I'm pretty much penciling in a, a UE win if I just see that stat line. So the team kind of lives and dies by him. But, you know, this is a talented team, and, it's, and it doesn't play the same as, you know, an Evansville team might have three or four years ago. They run up and down. They're athletic. Um, you know, they have a Kansas transfer in Sam Cunliffe. Art Lebenowitz, who's uh, another redshirt senior, transferred in from uh, Coastal Carolina. He scored 16 last night. He's kind of emerged as a leader uh, lately. So there's a lot of pieces on this team, which is why I was so high on them to start the year. I know that they weren't picked high in the Valley, but I just thought there was no way they could have replicated uh, what they did last year. So Evansville is still in a good place talent-wise. It just depends if they can stay connected and kind of keep their heads up uh, throughout all this adversity. Well, let me tell you, this is my third year filling out a preseason ballot, and right now it's it's my last because I'm graduating in May, and I have not been close on my last two, and I don't plan on being close on my third. So wherever they're picked, it's it's gonna wherever they end up in March is probably not where we picked them. But I didn't realize that DeAndre Williams was a sophomore. For some reason, I thought he was older than that. Yeah, so he uh, he didn't even play last year. So this is his first season of. Um college basketball the NCAA ruled him ineligible because essentially he went to like a prep school after high school and they determined that his clock started then instead of starting when he got to Evansville regardless he didn't play last year so you know he's only played um like 15 14 15 games you know in college now and he's already you know McCarty even kind of dropped some hints uh last month that he he might have NBA potential just with his size and skill sets that, you know, the ceiling's going to be pretty high for him. So it'll be, I don't know, again, if it, we don't know who the coach is. So we don't know who might transfer, who might stay. But you know, he's he's definitely one of the best players who have come out of the Valley in a couple of years. Yeah, looking at his numbers too, 16.9 points per game and 7.7 uh, 7 rebounds per game. That's pretty good for first year in the league and especially uh, as a sophomore there. I uh, just want to talk a little bit about the next game against Bradley. Obviously, Elijah Childs came back last night for the Braves. Uh, what do you think is going to happen at uh, the Ford Center on Tuesday night? A Tuesday night or Wednesday night that they play? Uh, Wednesday, Wednesday night, night, I think. My, I'm on winter break. I keep I, I had to tell myself today was Sunday. I kept, I kept thinking yesterday was Friday. So. <laughs> I've I've uh I've had a hard time keeping my days together too. Uh, you know it's. Christmas and New Year shouldn't be in the middle of the week, but I digress. Thank you, uh, thank you, yeah. thank you, thank you. <laughs> with uh, with the Bradley game, you know, the, like I kind of hinted at, you know, I think that it's almost a must-win for Evansville. You know, then they have a couple of road games coming up, going up to Loyola on Saturday, and then uh, to Indiana State the following week. So, you know, they really can't start out 0-3 plus 0-2 on their home court. Um, then again, Bradley played you and I really well and obviously made the tournament last year and did pretty well in the non-conference. So um, this is going to be a tough game. It might kind of show the true colors of this UE team without McCarty, but they've just been so hard to handicap, you know, even Vegas. And part of that has to do just with people, probably, you know, sportsbooks wanting people to bet on 
Evansville just because they're a big name after beating Kentucky and maybe they were overvalued a little bit, but you know, the lines for a lot of these games, it's just never comes down to that. It's, it's always completely off and usually not in Evansville's favor. So it's a team that has kind of been unpredictable and that makes it fun and stressful covering it um, and trying to get my stuff done in time with, with all of these really close games. How are those buzzer stories when you're coming up on the end of the game and you don't know what's going to happen? Because I've been there, done that too. I'm just, I'm a nervous wreck. Uh, like last <laughs> night, I had a story ready to go in regulation. I thought they were going to win. Lo and behold, it goes to overtime and then they lose. So I kind of have to completely readjust uh, what I'm trying to push out there within the first couple of minutes. Yeah, of the game ending. So it's fun, this, this business that we're in. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I remember Arch Madness last year, I had a similar thing because I did the same thing for the championship game because we cover them all just because we're down there. Mm-hmm. And I had the story written up as if uh, Northern Iowa won. And then all of a sudden, Bradley came storing back. I'm like, well, okay, got to just delete it all. <laughs> yeah, I got a little <laughs> bit after the buzzer, but it's all good. Um, but just talking about even just the crazy business that we're in and the crazy season, I, I feel like I have to ask, how was the Kentucky game? Because that was your first game on the beat, wasn't it? Uh, it was second game. Second game yeah, on the beat, okay. Still, still pretty crazy. Um, it was one of those things, you know, I wrote the preview beforehand, and one of the players, Sam Cunliffe, said, you know, Kentucky puts their pants on one leg at a time, too. And, you know, that's a money quote. That's something that ended up making the headline. And it later got referenced on SportsCenter, which shows that, nice. you know, people were reading the coverage, which I thought was cool. But, um, <clears throat> yeah, they, they, weren't, they weren't scared, I guess, to, to go into Rupp. Obviously, with it being uh, McCarty's alma mater, there was some, you know, kind of symbolism, I guess, or I don't know if that's the right word, but it was just kind of a, a perfect script, you know, for them to, to go in to their coach's alma mater where they won a national championship and just kind of shock the world. And they just played with confidence the whole night, which shows how talented, you know, Evansville can be. I know that Kentucky has slid a little bit, but. You know, there's still a Power 5 program that's probably going to make the NCAA tournament. So, um, you know, it, it was a big win. It was crazy. Um, the following days were just kind of exhausting with all the content we were trying to push out because people were just eating it up. But it, it was a lot of fun, and, yeah, what a way to, to get welcome to the beats. You know, game number two, and they're beating the, the number one team in the country. I want to say Kentucky's, what, one of, like, four number ones to go down this year or something like that. That, may, that might even be too low. It's just been a crazy year around college basketball. Yeah, definitely. And, yeah, Evansville started the trend, but there have definitely been four or five others who have followed up. And I just thought it was funny that Stephen F. Austin, then beating Duke, that, of course, yeah. Evansville and Stephen F. Austin both wore purple and Duke and Kentucky, you know, both being blue blood. So kind of fitting there, too. So you're saying the Illuminati's confirmed. Is that what I'm hearing here? I think so. I think it's good luck to wear purple. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's talk about Chad Linscog here on WLUW for a couple more minutes. Um, since you are new to the beat, I have to ask, have you gotten – I know they did this when Valpo joined and Paul Oren joined the Valley crew. Have you gotten any food recommendations yet for when you travel to games? I haven't gotten too many, so I did reach out to Wyatt uh, when I made the trip to Springfield this week, but – I didn't get in until like 8 p.m. just because I had stuff to do leading the day leading up. And then the following day, uh, you know, it was an afternoon game. So I, I got lunch in Springfield, which was solid, but I haven't made or I haven't got too many recommendations in some of these other cities. So I'm going to have to do some uh, reaching out and asking for, for the public's uh, opinions, I guess, on where I should go. I think I'll be at least going to Indiana State and Southern Illinois, and we'll see where else, uh, depending on what ends, up, what ends up happening you know, with this team. Yeah, because I remember when Valpo joined, they did a podcast, uh, Derek Dockett did when he worked for the league, and he had all the beat writers uh-huh. on talking about the year, and he at the end he's like, okay, Paul's new to the beat. We need to tell him two places to go. And I didn't know if he had edit, I didn't know if Mike Kern got you a list or something, or I just know Mike's all over that stuff. <laughs> But if you come to Chicago, let me know. There's a Raising Cane's right by campus. So just And there's a Giordano's oh, nice. a few blocks away, too. So, Both of those uh, sound fantastic. Yeah, we went to Kane, I went to Cane's the other day. when I, got, I came back on Friday from I live downstate and came back Friday. First place I went was Raising Cane's. <laughs> like, I'm not even sorry. So, but, yeah, I didn't know if they'd uh, – I figured Wyatt would have given you a good recommendation as long as he's not eating a taco from Burger King again or something. <laughs> 
But uh, good stuff. Well, Chad, thanks again for the time, man. I appreciate it. Hope to see you at Genteel on Saturday. And uh, if not, I will probably see you in St. Louis this year for Arch Madness. Yeah, I'll definitely be there. But I, I appreciate you having me on, so thank you. And, you know, it should be a, a wild Valley season. So I'm very excited to, to see how it pans out. I expect nothing less. That's Chad Linskog on WLUW on the Sunday Sports Shootout. We thank him again for the time. And I'll be opening the phone lines up right now for the rest of the show. We can talk college basketball. We can talk about the White Sox. We can talk about whatever you want to talk about. Call me up, 773-508-9589, 773-508-WLUW. Some great stuff from Chad, some insights into Walter McCarty's suspension and Benny Seltzer taking over the interim head coach position for the start of Valley play. Again, Evansville 0-2 to start, Loyola 2-0 to start. Everyone else is 1-1. So really, really good stuff there. And let's talk about that Loyola game last night because that was... That was a lot of fun. Was there taking pictures? And again, please go, please go click on the game story because the, we appreciate the clicks. And also, while you're there, just click through the slideshows. I'm really proud of how the pictures turned out last night. I took 700 and managed to whittle them down to seven for the site. And I'm going to edit some more today. So appreciate the clicks. Appreciate the patronage. It was fun interacting with everybody on Twitter last night as well. It was a fun Twitter night. But Loyola came back to beat Missouri State at Gentile. It's the first time Porter Moser has uh, beaten Dana Ford, and Dana Ford obviously played for Porter at Illinois State, and Missouri State went 2-0 against Loyola last year. Uh, Cameron Crutwig, 23.7 rebounds last night. Lucas Williamson also had a good night with 12 points. Marquise Kennedy had 13. Loyola again, six turnovers, which is very good. I want to say that is, that is the season low. That's according to the game story from Kyle Brown. It's the lowest of the season, turning it over six times. And since the Cayman Islands, Loyola went to the Cayman Islands Classic and lost to Colorado State. After that loss, they were 3-4. and four. Since that game, they are 7-1. and one, And in that time, they've gotten healthier, and they've just got a lot of guys have gotten minutes. That's something Porter Moser pointed to in the press conference. Uh, he specifically called out Keith Clements, the point guard. Uh, Keith transferred in from Vincennes University, took them to the national championship, of the NJCAA, and he's just, he's been, he's changed, something's changed since he took over. I don't know if he's just controlling it more, I don't know. I can't really pinpoint it to one thing. Since Keith Clemens has come back and since they've gotten healthy, because obviously Franklin Agunani was out for a while, I think he sprained his thumb or broke his thumb or something, but he's back and he he turned in some good minutes last night. Lucas Williamson is staying healthy, and that was something Porter pointed to. The only loss was to Davidson. And Lucas was hurt in that one. So the injury bug was really, really getting to the Ramblers. But they're healthy now. They are, again, undefeated in the league through two games. Again, only 2-0 team is just crazy because that's the Valley. And as Barry Hinson once said, it's the Valley, Scott. Loyola's next game is set for Tuesday, January 7th. They are going to Drake. That'll be 8 p.m. tip-off. That's because it's on CBS Sports Network, so it'll be on TV. I will be back home for that game as of now, but it's gonna be that's gonna be a fun one. Uh, so again, crazy, crazy game last night and crazy night around the league. How about Illinois State going down at Southern Illinois? Brian Mullins getting his first MVC win as head coach. Congratulations to Brian. He was a good guy. He treated treated me well when he was here at Loyola. Wishing him all the best at Southern, and they picked up the win over an Illinois State team that beat Northern Iowa last week. Welcome to the Valley, everybody. Is Northern Iowa was obviously in conversation for the top 25 I want to say they at least got votes and then Illinois State beats them and then last night Illinois State goes I think what would they go two for they, two for 14 or something from three-point territory and it was not it was just not not a good showing from Illinois State but again Southern Illinois picking up the big win and we the rest of the year is going to shape out to be very very interesting for the Missouri Valley Conference by the way, you are listening to the Sunday Sports Shootout here on 88.7 FM with Nick Schultz. If you want to join in the discussion, please call in. I am in a very I'm in a very valley mood today. I would love to talk some valley hoops or even Chicago basketball. Because my column about Chicago basketball is aging horribly, so you can call me out on it. You have me captive for the for the next half hour. Call me up. 
773-508-WLUW. I would love to hear from you, or you can shoot me a tweet at Nick Schultz underscore seven. If you don't follow me, you should. I try to be really funny. Sometimes I fail, but I try to be funny, and it's the, it's the thought that counts. One other thing that happened after that Loyola game, this is, I, I, I want to laugh, but I, I don't want to laugh. So Porter Moser walks into the press conference, and when I say say walks, he 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 was serious limp. He it was his right foot. He was ha- he was having trouble walking on it. And I don't I don't want to spec. I've heard a couple things on Twitter, people speculating, but I, I'm not a doctor. I don't pretend to be a doctor. I don't play a doctor on TV. I don't want to speculate, but it, he said it was something with his right foot. He wouldn't go into specifics, and he said it's not good. And I so I don't know what's going on with that, but. If you if you watch Loyola games, and odds are if you're reading my if you're reading our game stories and you're listening to my show as I'm talking about Loyola basketball, you have Porter walks up and down the sidelines, and it's it's almost comical when he walks up and down the sidelines. And I think I know what play it happened because I was I was trying to get a bench picture and saw him go sprinting down the sideline. He was trying to call a timeout, and he I saw him go sprinting and he, he ran right through the where I was taking the picture. And I'd have to I'd have to go back through and see if I got it, but it, he didn't seem right. And I even noticed after the game, the the players all walk around the crowd and they they shake hands and everything with the crowd and thank everybody for coming. It's a cool it's a cool tradition since they moved the student section and everything. Obviously, students weren't there last night, but even after the game, Porter always walks around the court, clapping his hands, saying thanks for coming, thank you everybody for coming and. He wasn't out there. I I turned to Kyle and I turned to Wyatt and I'm just like, because Wyatt Wheeler from the newsleader was covering Missouri State. I even go, where the hell's Porter? Like, it makes for good pictures when he does that. I have more pictures of him thanking the fans, and he just wasn't there. And come lo and behold, in the press conference, he's struggling to walk in. We'll we'll see what happens there. That's gonna be. He even said it's better better me than them talking about his players. And he, now that Loyola's healthy, the coach might the coach might be hurt. So might be worth asking about on our conference call tomorrow. But we'll see if Porter's going to be walking up and down the sidelines or what's going to happen. But they got a quick turnaround. They got a game on Tuesday. So I don't know what's going to happen with his foot there. If you got anything else to contribute about last night's game, if you watched it, if you followed on Twitter, uh, call me up, 773-508-9589. 773-508-WLUW. Let's talk about that column I wrote a few weeks back. Right before winter break, I wrote a column saying DePaul had overthrown Loyola as the king of college basketball. People disagree with it. There are people agreed with it, but it was a sign of a good column when you got people disagreeing and agreeing. It was it got an interesting reaction. Well, DePaul is now 0-2 in the Big East, and Loyola is 2-0 in the Missouri Valley. So... I deserve any, you can call me out. I was wrong. It's fine. It happens. It's the, the joys of being a columnist. But watching DePaul lose to Providence, barely lose to Providence yesterday, the fall to 0-2, I'm sitting there going, oh boy. Because Loyola's 2-0 for, I believe, this third straight year. They're 2-0 in the league, starting 2-0 in the league. Obviously, obviously two years ago, they made the Final Four. They won the, they won, they won the league, won Arch Madness, made it to the Final Four. Last year, they tied with Drake for the regular season championship and lost to Bradley at Arch Madness. And this year, God knows what's going to happen because it's the Valley. You never know what's going to happen. Question here on Twitter from Blurred Vision. I've seen this guy follow. I actually don't know his real name. Uh, listening to Nick Schultz 7 doing a wonderful job on the air. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. Uh, question. We all saw Williamson struggling at the beginning of the season, but see him slowly coming back now. Do you think he will be 100% by the time Arch Madness comes around? It's an interesting question because Lucas, Lucas had been the team's best shooter before that when he went down against Davidson. It was an ankle that he went down with. He was fine. But even Porter said in the press conference he was the best shooter on the team. He was, he's the best defender. And I, I think he's close to 100%. I mean, that game last night, he showed more emotion in that game than I'd seen him show maybe ever. He was... Very into it, and very a lot of lot of great reactions out of him. And he hit a he hit a big three in the second half too. So I think he's starting to turn a corner. And if he can if he can stay healthy, because last year he dealt with the with the hand issues. If he can stay healthy, which I think he can, 
they get, you got a lockdown defender who can shoot. I think he's going to turn into a really, really good player. People keep comparing him to Ben Richardson because during the Final Four, uh, Ben always joked that Lucas was his son because Ben was a senior, Lucas was a freshman. And I'll never forget the answer. I asked him about Lucas, and Ben goes, that's my son, man. It was, it was awesome. And I, I think Lucas has a chance to be better offensively than Ben was, and Ben was good on offense. And there was, a, there was something else that Ben said like talking about comparisons to Lucas during that final four run. I forget which assistant coach told him that the coach turned to Ben Richardson and said, hey, this kid reminds me of you, except he can shoot. And it was it was awesome. Great quote. It was a good soundbite too. And that's kind of what Lucas is reminding me of. He can shoot and he can defend, and that's a really, really good combination, especially in the Valley. And it's also going to help that he can shoot because Cam Crutwig is such a great passer. I mean, the guy's 6'9". Is it, they, they call him a unicorn out there because he, he's 6'9". He can, he can pass. He can go up for a layup. He can rebound. He needs to work on a mid-range, though, but that'll come. He, if he keeps doing his thing like he is right now, the mid-range will come. Like, I have more shots. At, I, I got a shot of him last night take, going from mid-range. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to get the make. And he missed it. I go, oh, well, okay. Because Porter even joked on media day that Crut got more range. Went from one feet to two feet. So he's got to work on the mid-range. But with with Crutwig's passing ability and Williamson's ability to shoot, because I want to say he's still the leading three-point shooter this year because Cooper Kafis is obviously out for the year. He tore his labrum and his hip. Uh, Lucas is second on the team in three-point percentage. Uh, I'm going to say, uh, well, there's there are two players who have taken more than 53-pointers, Tate Hall and Lucas Williamson. Tate's 24 of 59. Lucas is 23 of 62. So they're both... They're the two best three-point shooters on the team. So do with that what you will. But I, th- I think Lucas Williamson is turning a corner here. And as the season goes on, I think he has a chance to get even more dominant through Valley play and how how the teams matched up. Because Missouri State last night, that was an interesting game plan that Missouri State came out with. They didn't really double-team Crutwig that much. They were focused on one-on-ones, and Crut had a great quote after the game. Uh, he said, I'm quoting from him, they definitely guard us a little different than most Valley teams do. They didn't really double-team or anything. They just kind of laid off me and said, okay, go try and beat us one-on-one. think it's safe to say he beat them one-on-one, grabbing 23, scoring 23 points, grabbing seven rebounds. And that was with the fact that he went 9 of 18 from the field. He got 18 shots off. And granted, he made nine of them, which is very un-Crutwig. Like, he had some that weren't going in, and Porter even said that he gets spoiled by Crutwig sometimes because he he makes so many that when he misses those little those turnaround phases, we got a caller on the line here. We'll get you on the air shortly. Uh, he turns around for those, I don't, I don't want to call him like a sky hook, not like a Kareem Abdul-Jabbar sky hook or anything, but he turns around for those from short range, and it you want him to go in because he makes them so much. And Porter even Porter even said he gets spoiled, but you got to remember he's going to miss some from time to time because he had 15 at half and he missed five shots. Porter said, well, I thought he should have missed two or three. But that's just, I'd rather have high expectations for players than have them, have them be like pleasant surprises or something like that. So Crutwig obviously going to be a force in the league this year, 16.5 points per game, 8.1 rebounds per game. And do we not have a caller on the line, doesn't look like? No. Okay, John's shaking his head. So phone lines are still open, 773-508-9589, 773-508-WLUW. If you want to actually call and talk, uh, please do. I love interacting with everybody. But anyway, anyway, Crutwig the Unicorn is going to be a force in the league. Again, preseason player of the year. And last year I predicted that he'd be the player of the year, and that fell short. So, And Marcus Towns won it, and I, I still feel bad that I was sleeping on Marcus Towns. And he wound up winning the Larry Bird Trophy. But, say lovey, I think Crutwig has a chance to be player of the year this year. And next year, no doubt, front runner. Like that, without a question. And then Valley teams are going to have to adjust, I feel like. even They're still going to have to adjust to guarding him. Because, like I said, Missouri State's game plan last night going one-on-one, that's not going to work. Problem is, if you double-team him, he's going to pass it out to somebody who can shoot. So it's a double-edged sword because of his passing ability. you gotta, you got to pick and choose what you want to do when you guard him. 
and I think it's going to make for a really, really interesting stretch here. Uh, let's talk a little bit about Drake, because Loyola plays Drake this week. Uh, Drake Bulldogs are one of the eight teams that are 1-1 one and one in the league. Uh, last night, they beat Indiana State 80-76. to That was a really good game. Drake was up uh, by more than that at one point, and Indiana State obviously closed the gap. It's a good Drake team this year. Obviously, I'm going to say that about every team because it's a good it's a good year for the league. Well, close year for the league. I wouldn't say it's a good year for the league. The Missouri Valley is still going to be a one big league this year. Any hope of having two bids was gone when Illinois State beat Northern Iowa. But still a lot of parity. Um, Drake is led by Liam Robbins is 12.6 points and Roman Penn's 12.1 points per game. Now they got four guys scoring in double figures. Why does it say DJ Wilkins twice on my screen? Uh, that's weird. Anyway, sorry, stats feed's wrong. Uh, but either way, uh, they got looks like they've got some depth. Uh, it's going to be a good matchup in Des Moines. I have not seen a spread yet because it's a little early for that. But I always tweet out my what are the odds. I love doing that. You can't bet on college sports in Illinois once that whole, once the state gets it ready to bet on games. Like, you can't bet on college games through the state. But I like looking at the spreads just to see what everybody's saying, what they think is going to happen. Like, prime example, Loyola was favored by 6.5 points last night. The final score was, I just lost, why did I lose that page? And I don't know how I don't have the final score handy, but let's just say Loyola won by four. I can tell you that. 62 to 58 was the final. So I thought six and a half was high. And for once, I was right. Six and and a half points. Loyola, Loyola, Missouri State's always a close game. And I need six and a half points. I'm like, there's no way. But it's just really interesting to see what everybody's thinking about these games. And the over-under was 124. Uh, the final final total was 120. We'll see what happens the rest of the way, though, because it's not going to be... I think 6.5 is probably the most favored any team's going to be because you, you go on a home court, there's a reason home teams dominate in the league. is because, like I was talking with Chad briefly... The travel is one thing because it's all some teams go from like Evansville to Drake or Chicago to Southern or there's all kinds of travel and it's a mid-major conference. So obviously the home teams are going to just absolutely dominate the league. And I'm curious to see where everything goes this year because obviously two games in is a small sample size because last year, like I said, Loyola went 2-0 and and they were coming off. It was the year after the Final Four, so everyone thought they were going to run the table again because they kind of they didn't really run the table the year of the Final Four, but they they did run the table. If that makes sense, they went fifteen and three in league play. And Evansville again, zero and two. Like like Chad and I were talking about, that team could still wind up making the NCAA tournament because ne- nobody's getting an at large bid this year. I think that's safe to say. No one in the league is getting an at-large bid. So whoever wins Arch Madness is going to the NCAAs because they got the automatic bid. That said, that opens the door for any team in the league to make the NCAA tournament. You saw Bradley last year. They were 0-6 to start the year. They wound up finishing, I think, 500 or over 500. They definitely won the conference tournament, and they almost won the first game of the NCAA tournament. It's a, mid, it's a mid-majorism, and that's what makes it so great. That's why I love mid-major basketball. That's why I love talking the Missouri Valley so much. Mid-major basketball is so great. The national media overlooks it, really. The national people don't really, you don't really hear about the Northern Iowas when they were dominating like that. You heard about Loyola during the Final Four because it was the NCAA tournament. Leading up to the NCAA tournament, there wasn't a lot of talk about Loyola Chicago being a Cinderella story. And I will never forget, like, the first half of that year, the press conferences after games, you're you're listening to the one person who was there besides Loyola Athletics video guy. It was just me and Porter. It was just the student paper reporting on these guys, and then the Tribune started coming out. And even then, two years later, last night in the press conference, it was me and Kyle and Athletics media guy. It was, it, you don't hear about the mid-majors that much in a city with 
with DePaul especially. DePaul basketball having such a good non-con season. The eyes are on the Blue Demons, and it's just the way it is. And I know people don't like it, but it's just – and North, Northwestern. Northwestern's – that's a weird team. That's the team that lost to Merrimack, kept up with DePaul, and they just lost to somebody last week that I was like, they lost to them? I got I to gotta remember I, – I'm not going to move on until I remember who that was. Hartford. They lost to Hartford at Welsh Ryan Arena. That team is on such a roller coaster right now. And – it's just crazy to me. And now Loyola's 2-0 in conference play, and DePaul's 0-2. Northwestern lost to Michigan State, so they're 0 and, and they lost to Purdue, so they're 0-2 in Big Ten play. Keep in mind, this is the same Northwestern team that blew Bradley out by 27 points. And I'm looking at what UIC is doing in the Horizon League. Because I, if, if I'm right, I think Loyola is the only undefeated team in conference play to start the year. And I want to make sure I'm accurate on that. Because if that's the case, that makes that column look even worse. But granted, I mean, I'm at, at the time, I think I was right. But now looking back at it, okay, so I called the putt a little early. It happens, okay? And I'm not getting the site to load, so I don't know what UIC's record is. Gotta love the internet. UIC is 1-2 in Horizon League play. So yeah, the Ramblers are the best team in town by a conference record standpoint. We will see if that changes. And it's going to be a fun couple months, because... College basketball, man, as John Rothstein says on Twitter, this is only January. It is January 5th. I don't want to talk about it. We could talk about, we're talking about Arch Madness because we're, it's already conference play starting. You're going to talk about Arch Madness. But any talk of NCAA tournament, you got to get through Arch Madness first. That's the way, it's just the way it's going to be. And people were talking about DePaul being a tournament team. I could maybe still see that, I guess. And that's a big maybe. Um, after losing to Providence the, way, the other night and starting 0-2 in Big East play, I'm not so sure. But Chicago College basketball is really fun right now. And it's more fun than the NBA basketball we're seeing at the United Center. I'll touch on this for a little bit, but if anyone wants to call, I'm here for 12 more minutes and would love to talk some college ball, 773-508-9589, 773-508-WLUW. Call me up because I'm, I'm moving on to the pros, but I'm more, than, I'm more than happy to go back to college. Let's talk about the pros because the college basketball scene is better than the professional basketball scene, at least, at least in terms of the NBA, the Chicago Sky. Like, I was watching Sports Talk Live last week, and they were talking about, like, wow, the, all the professional sports teams in town suck, and Mag- Maggie Hendricks was like, no, the, the Sky are really good. And I agree with her. I'm like, she's got a point. And I know uh, I've talked to Madeline Kenny over at the Sun Times. She was my editor uh, my freshman year. Uh, she covers the sky, and we've had this conversation too. Like, obviously, the Chicago Sky, the Chicago Red Stars, Chicago Bandits are all really good teams. But right now, we got, we're, we're stuck with the Bulls and the Blackhawks because the Bears' season ended, which I'm trying not to go on a rant about the Bears. I'm really trying not to. But I will talk about the Bulls since I'm in a basketball mood. I didn't. Wa- I obviously didn't watch the Bulls game last night because I was at the Loyola game, and thank goodness I didn't watch the Bulls game last night because they. Were, I mean, they were playing Boston, and Boston's a good team. Joe Cowley at the Sun Times tweeted out a good stat that the Bulls are one and fourteen against five hundred or better teams. One and fourteen. But you know, this team's a playoff team. This team's gonna make the playoffs. They're gonna practice like they're making the playoffs. But I won't get on that soapbox right now because I want to focus on a quote that Jim Boylan said after the game because this is my favorite pastime is looking, is looking at quotes from Jim Boylan's post-game press conference. This is from Casey Johnson over at NBCSportsChicago.com. Jim Boylan said he used two timeouts in the third quarter because he didn't like his team's lack of energy. He had to burn his last one with 4.09 left for an injured Lowry Markkinen. 
Here's what Boylan had to say about his timeout usage. We practice to not have timeouts. I'm not in fear mode that we don't have timeouts because we're prepared to not have them. I read that last night in the media room and I had to stop and I had to go, I had to read it three times. As I'm looking at him, I go, what did he just say? We practice to not have timeouts. I'm not in fear mode that we don't have timeouts because we're prepared to not have them. Am I the only one that that doesn't make a lot of sense to? Just, what? I have no, I, I have no words. I, I like to give Porter Moser a hard time about his, his use of his cliches. He likes to quote Rick Majerus in press conferences. And I, I, I joke, you can get pretty good at predicting what he's going to say in press conferences. I, I, I love, it's, it's all in good fun. Like Porter's been, Porter's been great to me over the last few years and it's all in good fun. I'd rather have, I, I would, I love talking to Porter because the cliches are usually like, we'll, we'll laugh about it. This is Jim Boylan's quotes are laughable in a different way. They're laughable in that they're not, this is just, I don't even, I don't even have words to say like, really? And the injury that Casey was tweeting about, uh, he tweeted three hours ago, initial examination shows Lowry Markinen suffered a sprained left ankle per source. Uh, Bulls at Mavericks Monday. Uh, Markinen's playing status will be updated later today. I, I had to talk about that because I saw that come up on my timeline again, especially since we were talking basketball. And we have a caller on the line. Maybe this will be an actual caller this time. Another Jerry Reinsdorf team making moves, big moves, big, big moves. White Sox signed Luis Robert to an extension. And it's going to be that, – that kid's going to be a stud. The White Sox are going to be a really good team this year. And I'm curious to see the baseball landscape in town. But if you need a distraction from the professional side, from the Bulls and the Blackhawks, look at the White Sox. And we do have a caller on the line with eight minutes to go in the show. Hello, caller. You're on WLUW. Who am I speaking with today? Hey, Nick. What's up, buddy? Happy holidays. Happy New Year. Hey, how you doing, Daryl? Good to hear from you. Yeah, I got to the NBA, so I thought I might have some something to offer because I, I obviously have nothing on the college front. Oh, come on. You don't want to talk a little basketball? I don't know anything to talk about, so you're the expert there. I'll be <laughs> like some, like, you know, fan not knowing jack about what I'm talking about, you know. Hey, fair enough, fair enough. What do you got to say about the Bulls? <laughs> did you hear about it? Wait a minute, before you answer, did you see that quote last night before I read it? Did you hear about that quote about the timeouts? Oh, Waylon uh, not needing them or not worried about it, and I, he had the injury with marketing, yeah. and he wants to keep the game from being 7 or 9 or 11, so he calls them at that time and that type of thing. Yeah, they practice not having timeouts. Okay. Well, you know, I, I actually just commented on the athletic. I think it's a good thing with Boylan not having timeouts at the end of the game because I'd rather the players just play than go to Boylan for what he tells them to do. I would take my chances on the players making the right decision over Boylan making the right decision. So I'm okay with that, actually. Yeah, fair enough. I'd have to agree on that. I don't really, I don't like Jim Boylan out of a timeout. I, just, I don't like his coaching to begin with. But out of a timeout, just I don't know. Something just doesn't seem right. And I actually quoted it, I commented in there too, that if Boston had a really difficult game against Atlanta, it went right down to the wire. My guy Trey, of course, played great again. Uh, Kemba Walker was out. So they had a tough game the night before. Kemba Walker was out. And still, to me, if you traded coaches and you put Boylan as the coach of Boston and Brad Stevens as the coach of the Bulls, Bulls win the game yesterday. Oh yeah, Brad Stevens is a great coach. I mean, he's a Butler guy. He's right. a mid, he's, a one, he's a one of the mid major guys that play Horizon League guy. Man, I love Brad Stevens. See, they were in a good position to win the game. Now, here's what I want to mention. Like you know, I always advocate going for the guys that could help you become a champion. Like you know, I never liked Wendell Carter Jr. because I went Wendell Carter Jr. to me again a nice solid piece of an average to above average team that will never be a champion unless you have two to three superstars along with him. 
But how do you get those superstars if you're not getting them in the draft since they do not come to Chicago you know, via free agency? You draft them by taking a guy, by taking a chance. Have you watched, looked at Michael Porter Jr. at all recently in the last week? He got a little bit of time to play. He didn't do much yesterday, but the game before, he had, I think, like 26 points or so. He had 11 for 12 shooting. I looked at his highlights, and the guy looks so athletic, so fluid. He handles the ball. He goes to the basket. He can shoot from anywhere on the court. He's a legit 6'10". I mean, I think he's actually bigger than Carter. I mean, that's how you win, by taking a chance on a guy who had a bad back, letting him sit out for a year, and giving yourself an opportunity to get a superstar player when normally you wouldn't have an opportunity to get that. You get a Wendell Carter Jr. any day of the week in the draft. You do not get a Michael Porter Jr. any day of the week, but you have to have the guts to make that decision and to be okay with it if it doesn't work out. What are your thoughts on that, Nick? Well, I haven't seen Michael Porter Jr. play a lot this year. In fact, I don't even think I've seen him play at all. Uh, think about it. I think Wendell. I think Wendell Carter is a unique player in that he he's like you said he's solid on the court. Like he he gives you he's consistent on the court. I think it's safe to say. And off the court, I feel like he's kind of uh, he's one of the younger guys on the team, but he's also like the voice of reason. Like I point back to the loss against Golden State. Jim Boylan said there's no shame in it. When Wendell Carter was asked about it, he said, no, there should be shame in it. And I said, I, I'm like, yes, I like that. I love that kid. Like, he, I mean, he's solid on the court. He's good on the court. And I think with the proper coaching, he could turn into something better. But I think he's even, I think he's even more valuable away from the court. But here's the thing, though. I, I could agree with you. I, you know, I like some of the things he said. And he's a good, solid player. And he'll be a good, solid player for 10 years or whatever the heck it might be. But I don't want a good, solid player. I want to win a championship. And if I'm going to win a championship, I need guys that are superstar-level players. Michael Porter Jr., just like Trey Young, is a superstar-level player. Now, obviously, they couldn't get Trey Young because they blew the tank. They could have gotten Michael Porter. They could either have drafted him or they could have traded down to the Clippers who had two picks, 12 and 13, and maybe they could have traded seven for 12 and 13. Gotten Michael Carter Jr., who, excuse me, uh, Michael Porter Jr., who went 14 and had another pick to you to make their team better. The Bulls don't have foresight to do that. That's what I want them to do. By the way, look up some recent highlights from Michael Porter Jr. and tell me that guy doesn't have skills and can play basketball. I watched the highlights because I saw what – I'm checking him. I obviously check Trey Young all the time. And when I saw he had a really good game, I put it on Center to look at the highlights. And you could see – you watch for a moment or two, you could see the guy plays. He, he looks totally different than a Wendell Carter Jr. There's no comparison between them as basketball players, none whatsoever. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll look it up. I got an hour and a half train ride ahead of me tonight. I'm going back home, so I'll have some downtime to kill when I'm not edit, sorting through the 700 pictures I took at last night's Loyola basketball game. There you uh, go. That's a lot of pictures. By the way, well, by the way real quick, I know you're almost out of town. Yeah, time. Yeah. What do you think of – the White Sox signing Lewis Roberts. You were, I was contract. just about to ask you the same question, not going to lie. <laughs> and, and, well, here's what I think. They've signed all these different guys. They signed Jimenez, Jimenez last year. They had Sale, Quintana, Eaton before, and they were able to trade them because they had them on great contracts. Tim Anderson's under contract. The only one Theo has ever done was Rizzo some years ago and then Hendricks recently. Uh, why can't Theo close on negotiations? I admire the White Sox for being able to do that, and I question why Theo cannot do that. I know you're not going to do Bryant, but why couldn't you do Baez, or why couldn't you do Contreras or some of these other guys? Uh, what, what's your thoughts on that? I think Theo lacks when it comes to that. I think it also goes back to the money aspect. Like I feel like somehow, I don't know how they're out of money, but apparently they are, and I think that has something to do with it. But it's I, I, really, I really don't have an answer for you on that one. I'm just frustrated about it, just being blunt. But think about it. Like, he had Shell under contract, a great pitcher. He had him for a, a, a ridiculous contract. I mean, the Cubs made the stupid trade for Quintana because he had a really cheap contract. I mean, he keeps on doing it, and Theo didn't find a way to do it one way or the other. I mean, he could have done that a few years ago before they got to that position they do with Contreras or Paez even, and he didn't do it. I can see with Brian. It's not going to happen. But it could have happened with those guys. Right. Hey, I'm out of time, so i got to let you go. But good hearing from you, Daryl. Happy New Year. You too, Nick. Thanks. Appreciate it.
course. All right, that is Daryl and Charlotte, and we are out of time. Uh, thank you to Chad Linscog again for joining the show early on to talk Missouri Valley basketball. Uh, that's all the time I've got, so I will see you all, I believe, next week. I will be here, and hopefully we'll have more Missouri Valley to talk. Might have another guest on working on that right now. So we'll talk to you then. So for all of us here at the Sunday Sports Shootout, thank you for listening, and have a great week, everybody. Broadcasting from the campus of Loyola University, it's 88.7 WLUW, Chicago Sound Alliance.